Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison or the grave. This time, everything that happened from the orange-haired man with a map past the oaf with a pitchfork to the body at the covered bridge was wrong. Dead wrong. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Covered Bridge. You know, every once in a while, into the life of one Philip Marlowe, a little peace and quiet must fall. A day marked by neither murder nor mayhem. No phone calls. Just nothing. I was just beginning to like it, too, when the door opened and a head full of slick orange hair walked in. It was on a man wearing a new flannel suit, a hand-painted tie, and a reckless grin. He shoved the telephone out of his way, sat down on the corner of my desk, and sized me up with a pair of careful gray eyes. Got a proposition for you, laddie. Tell me about it. Let you know if I'm interested. You should be. There's good money in it. It's not always the answer. Go ahead. You got a good car? Good enough. I don't keep it in the office. You like Mexico? Look, is this a social call or a quiz program? This is business. I asked you a question. Yeah, I like Mexico. I don't like you. Well, that's good, because you're going to drive a couple of friends of me down there. Uh, name your price. Not interested. thousand bucks? Not interested. That's too bad. Would have been nicer to work this out without a gun. Listen, you two-bit jerk. Talk easy, laddie. This gun is bigger than both of us. Are you going to drive across the Mexican border tonight with three passengers? And there won't be any difficult questions, because you are the well-known Senor Philip Marlowe, a respectable private detective. Somewhere below the border, your fellow travelers will catch a boat. But this you don't have to worry about. Now, look, just a minute. Look, laddie, I came to you for several reasons, one of which is that you're smart enough to know when to quit fighting the problem. We gotta make a stop first, so let's go. Uh, and leave your artillery in the drawer. Come on. Yeah, sure. Since I'm now an old pal of yours, what do I call you? You pick it. Believe me, you won't like it. Um, how about George? You like George? Not particularly. Good. Just call me George. Let's go, Marlo. <laughs> We nodded at the elevator girl, waved goodbye to the kid in the parking lot, and headed south on Highway 101. All with the front of that Mauser nudging my kidney. It was screwy, but I was on my way to Mexico. Uh, don't get ambitious, Marlowe. Not too fast, not too slow. Just keep it rolling nice and steady. I did what I was told and watched for a break. For every foot of a hundred miles down the coast. At Oceanside, we cut inland past Escondido and up into the citrus country. 
Once he dug a little map from his pocket and studied it while we headed into the hills where farms were farther apart. George was busy looking for a turnoff when my chance came, and it came fast. My foot slammed down hard on the brake. George's head struck the windshield, and the gun slipped out of his hand. I dropped two wheels to the ditch, but I got the gun. He took one look, then jumped out and ran in a low crouch from the back of the car. Before I could follow him, I heard the truck coming. It was a big two-section job rolling fast. It topped the rise just as George pivoted toward the road. The truck driver must have seen him just as he hit but the air brake blocked on all 26 wheels at the same time. I ran to where George lay like a discarded doll at the side of the road. The truck driver was out of his cab before it stopped rolling. I didn't see him. I didn't see him. I come over the rise there. I, I didn't see him. Take it easy. Honest, I didn't see him. Is he all right? He ain't dead, is he? No, no, he isn't. He won't be walking much anymore. It wasn't my fault, Mr. Honest. I know it wasn't. Get hold of yourself. Gosh, what should we do? I want you to drive to the nearest phone and get the police and then come back. Here's my card. Give it to the troopers. Tell them they can reach me at my office. Yeah, what are you going to do? I can figure out how to read this map of his. I'm going to pay a call on a couple of people who are expecting this guy. Maybe it's just a stubborn streak, but when I'm being used as a patsy, I like to meet the people involved. As I drove, I studied the map, and two miles down the highway, I found the first landmark. A dead tree. There I left the highway and followed a rocky trail seven corkscrew miles up a canyon to the next landmark, a bridge. One that looked like it had been lifted out of some rustic Connecticut woods and dropped across the California gorge purely by mistake. Because it was covered complete to roof and walls and made entirely of lumber. And on the hill beyond was a lonely house where the trail marked on the map ended. I drove slowly through the sagging wood tunnel and at the other end, deliberately killed my motor. And I got out, raised the hood, and went to work on the distributor. I don't know where he came from, but when I glanced up, he was standing there watching me. A bull in overalls with a pitchfork clenched in a pair of hands as thick as $4 steaks. We didn't like each other's looks. You picked a bad place for trouble, mister. That's so. Why? Nobody almost never comes up this road, especially strangers. How come you took it? Really want to know, or are you just killing time? I wouldn't be too smart if I was you, mister. Uh, you live in that house up there? No, not anymore. I got canned for drinking. But why are you so interested in that place? The only farm around here. Maybe they got a mechanic. Yeah, maybe. Where'd you say you were from? L.A. Uh, Los Angeles, huh? You real sure you don't know anybody up there on the hill? Like who, for instance? A certain party who took a trip to L.A. not so long ago. And another thing, city boy. Don't get out of line or I'll fix you good. Understand? I mean, how do you do? <laughs> you want something? Uh, yes, my car stalled at the bottom of the hill. Dolly! Dolly, who is it? Who's there? Uh, a man, Uncle Walter. He says his car broke down. What's that? Your, your car broke down, you say? Yeah, I don't know what went wrong, Mr. Uh... My name is Brule, Walter Brule. Oh, I'm glad to know you. I'm Philip Marlowe. 
What are you doing on this road, Mr. Marlowe? I thought it was a shortcut. Did you? Well, you were wrong. It's a dead end. Oh. Mm, come inside. Thanks. Look, Mr. Brule, I'd like to have somebody who knows motors come down and look at my car, huh? Mm-hmm. All right, then Ed comes in. I guess he could go down with you. Oh, I... That's I, my I... new hired hand, Ed Fry. Oh. I don't know, Uncle Walter. It's getting pretty dark. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing myself. As a matter of fact, if you can accommodate me, Mr. Brule, I'd just as soon rest up a while and shove off in the morning. I want to pay you for everything, of course. Stay overnight? Oh, I, uh... I'm afraid that's impossible. We Impossible? Yeah. Why? What's the matter with you, Dolly? If necessary, I'm sure we can arrange to take care of Mr. Marlowe some way. Well, okay. Yeah, that's better. Now, if you want me, Dolly, I'll be out in the barn. Make yourself comfortable, Mr. Marlowe. Your uncle, huh? He owns this place? That's right. My mother was his favorite sister. Oh. You want a cup of coffee? Oh, I'd love it. Haven't had any farm kitchen coffee in ages. You, um, you don't seem to have many visitors up this way, Dolly, huh? No, not many. Nice farm, though. Stinks. Is that why you run off to L.A. now and then? How did you know about that? I guess. I ran into a friend of yours at the bottom of the hill. A pair of overgrown shoulders with a pitchfork. Said he used to work here. Him. He did up until a month ago. That's Noah Bickman. Big dumb goof. Here's your cup. Oh, thanks. By the way, Mr. Marlowe, where are you heading? Oh, Mexico, maybe. Mexico? Yeah. You kind of came a long ways out of your way, didn't you? Did I? Dolly! Dolly! We're in here, Eddie. What's the matter? A car at the bottom of the hill. Whose is it? The car belongs to me. It's stalled. Uh, who are you? This is Mr. Marlowe, Eddie. He's uh, on his way to Mexico. Well, you don't say. And since his car broke down so late, he may stay all night. Uncle Walter said it'd be all right. Is that a fact? I'll uh, go get some blankets, Eddie, so you can take them up to the spare room for Mr. Marlowe. Oh, okay, Dolly. Mr. Marlowe, huh? Where are you from, Mr. Marlowe? L.A. You? Uh, points east. Uh. You know, this road don't go to Mexico, Marlowe. In fact, it stops about a mile up the draw here. Kind of funny that you wound up on it, isn't it? I don't see you breaking up over it, Eddie. Don't let my poker face throw you, pal. Traveling alone, are you? I am now. Meaning what? That there's nobody with me. That's simple, isn't it? Not in my book, pal. I might even want you to draw me a picture of that one. Here's the blanket, Eddie. Sheet. Oh, okay, okay, it's fine. Come on upstairs, Marlowe. I'll show you the room. You want me to go with you and make the bed? No, you stay here and put up some more coffee, Dolly. All right. That a hunch I may want lots of it tonight. Let's go, Marlowe. Right behind you, Eddie. How's the weather been in L.A.? Some might call it hot. Uh-huh. Get the door, will you? Sure. Okay, how come it's you, pal? I got good credentials, a car, and a tight yap. You better be right on all three. How'd you find me? Little map, Eddie. From Escondido to the dead tree to the covered bridge, and then up here it's a cinch. 
Why'd you show alone? Where's Red? Gotta meet us at the border. It's a bum fit, pal. It's not in the book. Why? Uh, he had some kind of a last-minute jam with the boat. Oh, that jerk. He's had a month to line this up while I've been holed up out here in the sticks making like a farmhand. Well, better work, that's all. If we're picked up this time, it's curtains. Oh, uh, incidentally, you got a gun, haven't you? Yeah, sure. Let's see it. Uh-uh. No dice, Eddie. Red didn't tell me everything, just enough. So? So you'll get your money's worth. I'll do what I'm supposed to do and no questions asked, for my little automatic and I stick together regardless, real close, together. <laughs> okay, Marlowe. Suit yourself. I will. And something else. The rest of the company is going along. Is that all set? Well, we'll see about that when the time comes. You're not leaving any loose ends around, are you? It's not your worry, pal. We'll get out of here around 11. Oh, and that routine about your car being stalled, it is a gag, I hope. Oh, sure, it won't start. If anybody tries, but in ten seconds with a screwdriver, I can fix it. <laughs> You're okay, Marlo. Just keep playing your game. Yeah, I will. Maybe then I'll find out what the score is after all. Mm, you might at that. Come on, let's eat. Dinner at the Brule Farm was as loaded with gay chatter as a bad case of lockjaw. And when it was over, the participants scattered like everybody else was contagious. I wound up alone in the dark spare room on the second floor, which had one advantage. Windows that viewed both the front and the rear. The moon was bright, so I didn't bother with a lamp. I listened to Dolly rattle dishes in the kitchen until that stopped, and then I watched old man Brule pace his front yard. Once Ed Fry went out and talked to him briefly and then headed for the front door again. For a long hour after that, the big house was silent until from somewhere out in the back, there was a soft, metallic tapping. Eventually, I spotted a heavy figure outside tossing pebbles against a window pane downstairs. And he edged back through the shadows to the barn. A moment later, I saw the girl slip out a rear door and run across the backyard to join her. I went down the back stairs and out along the house to a hedge, and I followed that until I was close enough it's to hear I tell you. He's an escaped convict, a killer. He's been hiding out here on your place. I can't believe it. No, I just can't. Are you sure? Of course I am. I read it by accident just tonight in an old newspaper from Denver. The whole story with pictures. There's no doubt about it. Ed Fry is really Eddie Fillmore. He's a murderer plenty of times over. What? Well, what do we do? Should we call the police? Ah, uh, no. Not on your life. Listen. You want to get off this farm, don't you? More than anything in the world. Okay. Then we'll do it. Together, Dolly. I didn't tell another soul about this. You know why? Because they put out a reward. A big one for him. $2,500. And we're going to get it. Just us, you and me. But how, Noah? How can we talk? What's that? Did you hear that, Noah? That's nothing, nothing. It's one of the cats, maybe. Look. You've been taking walks with him lately, Dolly. Well, yes, I have, Noah, but... Well, never mind that now. Just get him to take another one right away. Get him to walk you down to Pritchett's house. I'll be waiting there, and as soon as you get inside, I'll jump him. You'll never know what hit him. Will you do it? Pritchett's house? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll try. You, you give me some time to persuade him. Sure, sure. Oh, I knew you'd see things my way, honey. Oh, no, no, oh, boy, no. with with that reward money, there'll be no stopping us. 
You better go in now before they miss you. Okay. I'll get him there just as soon as I can. Hey, Bigman. What? Who's there? Marlowe. Listen, I got to talk to you. You were here listening all the time, weren't you? Yeah, and believe me, you're making a mistake. You're playing with dynamite, Bickman. You two are nuts to tackle that guy alone. He's too tough for you. So you want to help so you can cut yourself in on the reward, that's all. Well, it ain't going to work. Don't be a sap. He's covered himself. There's somebody else in with him. Somebody around here, he's got an ally. You two try to grab him, and you're going to be in trouble. You're lying. He's been hiding out all alone, and we're going to get him, Dolly and me, by ourselves. And if you try to horn in, mister, so help me, I'll beat your brain. Cut it out. Reward or no reward, you got to listen to me. I got nothing. Oh! Maybe that'll teach you not to stick your nose in, city boy. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Fred Allen's first appearance on the CBS Jack Benny Show. Al Jolson sings, but the face is Charlie McCarthy's. Andy of Amos and Andy goes on trial for deserting his bride by mistake. Those are three headlines that guarantee you a world of fun on CBS tomorrow night. Yes, this third Sunday of the new year will be an all-time high in radio entertainment. Hear them all on CBS tomorrow night. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Covered Bridge. I didn't pass out, but my jaw hurt and my legs moved like they were rubber. Now I had to find the roving Walter Brule because he should know where Pritchard's house was, where the ambitious team of Dolly and Noah might be biting off a lot more than they could chew, healthy 4-H teeth notwithstanding. Mr. Brule! Mr. Brule! Yeah? Hello? Who, who is it? Marlowe! Come here a minute, will you? It's important. Yeah, it's important. Now, what is it, Mr. Marlowe? But... Ah, your face! What's this? Your friend Noah, we had a few words. Noah Bickman? He was no friend of mine. Yeah, he's no friend of mine either. Look, Brule, I... I'm going to have to trust you. I've got no choice. Bickman found out Ed Fry is really an undesirable named Eddie Fillmore. is wanted for the police by murder. Murder? And he wants to trap him for a $2,500 reward that's been posted and didn't want me in the way. No. Now, look. I'm not a passing tourist with motor trouble, but a private detective. Tell me, who is Pritchard and where does he live? Richard, where does he live? Oh, Mr. Marlowe, somebody has been making a joke on you. Elihu Pritchard died 20 years ago. He lived right in this house where I do today. This is Pritchard's house here? Oh, Pritchard's house? No, no, no. That is down the road near your car, the covered bridge. That is Pritchard's house. The bridge? Ah, you see... Elihu Pritchard was from New England, and he had a covered bridge on his farm there. So he wanted one here. He built it himself day by day, a board here, a nail there. Oh, and since he spent so much time at it, people call the bridge his house. Is that it? Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. But then, why is it important? Because of a meeting, Mr. Brule, a get-together that I don't think is going to be on the quiet side. 
Let me borrow your flashlight, will you? Sure. Now get back inside and call the police. But what are you going to do? Reinforce the reward, happy sweethearts, and keep an eye out for someone I haven't met yet. The third party Eddie Fillmore plans to tour Mexico with. It was a quarter of a mile romp, country style, back down to the covered bridge. When I was there, the Mauser I'd recovered from George in one hand, flashlight in the other. I found only the moon-washed, gray-covered bridge itself. Trying to stand erect like an old soldier who has more pride than posture. But then as I stepped in the chalk road onto the sheltered oil soaked planking, I found something else. Inside and face down was Noah Bickman. And lying nearby, the red-stained, icy fingers of the pitchfork that had killed him. I started to move closer. But then footsteps in the road behind suggested that I do different, so I moved quickly back to the bridge entrance, flattened myself into a narrow shadow and waited. Noah? Noah, is that you? It's Marlowe, Dolly. What? Mr. Marlowe, what are you doing here? Well, why are you down at the bridge at this hour? Where, where's Noah? He's dead, Dolly. Huh? He's in there, but don't go inside. Look, I tried to stop him, believe me. Stop him? Stop him Don't what? bother, baby. I know about Fry being Fillmore, the reward, all of it. What? How? Well, first of all, I'm a private detective from L.A. was dragged into this by an ex-buddy of Fillmore's. Second, I was in the barn when you and Noah made your plans. Oh. When you left, I tried to talk Noah into accepting my help. Why? Because I know what Fillmore's kind is like. I mix with him every day. I know how they work. Look, did you tell Fillmore to meet you here, yes or no? No. No, I couldn't find him. I've been looking since I left the barn every place. That's why you came down here just now? Yes. I wanted to tell Noah that our plan would have to be postponed. But what difference does all this make? I don't know. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. If Fillmore had known about this, this rendezvous you two planned, it'd be 20 to 1 that he got here ahead of schedule and took care of Noah. But... Since he didn't. Yeah, since he didn't, I'm betting on a third party, someone we haven't met yet. A third party? Yeah, now listen to me and do just as I say. Turn around and walk straight back up to the house, and when you get there, get inside and stay put. But, Marlo, what is... Go on, fast! All right. But be careful, Marlo. Whoever killed Noah won't hesitate to kill you, too. When she started back up the road, I turned toward the bridge again. My flashlight following the dusty white footprints on the freshly oiled planking leading to the dead man. I stood over in the circle of light sweeping the area around him. There was just one thing I had to know. Marlo! Marlo! It's me, Walter Brewer. What are you doing down here? Well, I thought you might need help, so after I called the police, I got my rifle and came down here and I... Yeah, he's dead. The prongs on that fork went right through him. Oh, terrible. Yeah. Look, Brule, was this planking freshly oiled today? Yeah, uh, right. I what? just wanted to make sure those chalk footprints were made today. But what do footprints... Brule, you stay here and see that no one has the bridge. But where are you going? Up to your house in a hurry, because I think I know who the killer and the third party is. City-bred legs and smog-fed lungs, I made it up to the house in record time. 
But as I reached for the front door, I knew that time hadn't been quite good enough. The shot had come from somewhere in the house, and by the time I reached the living room, I knew I was too late to do any good. In a chair at the far side of the room, Dolly was slouched down, a surprised expression on her face. While her hands tried to hold back a small stain of blood oozing through her blouse, little frightened words whispered out of her mouth. You shouldn't have done it, Eddie. Stand where you are, Marlo. She had it coming to her, the two-time and louse. Eddie. Eddie, I'm trying to tell you. You don't understand. I understand I... plenty of no good little... Eddie. I was in the barn, heard the whole thing. You and that Bickman planning a switch with me out. No. You're wrong, Eddie. Dolly didn't try to double-cross you, Eddie. She only pretended to so she could set Noah Bickman up and kill him. That's what she did. Ah, uh, you're a liar. Who? That's what I tried to Eddie. I don't believe it. me. She was trying to help me. That's right, Fillmore. Bickman found out who you were, one of the 2,500 bucks you were worth, dead or alive. Dolly had to play him along for your sake. Should have listened to her. Should have listened. How'd you know all this, Marlowe? Found Dolly's footprints inside the covered bridge. Proof she'd been there before I found Bickman's body. Yeah. And you know who I was, so you put it all together. Well, you're holding the gun, kid. What's the next move? Doesn't matter much anymore. I could still lamb out of here for Mexico. Somehow I don't want to. Not without Dolly. Phone the police, Marlowe. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Several hours before the county police and Eddie Fillmore had gone. Walter Brule and I sat at the long wooden table watching the light from the fire dance across the hanging skillets and pans by the grate. And nobody said anything for a long time. I... I suppose hot apple pie at four in the morning seems odd to a man from the city. Not at all. Or in the morning, sometimes the middle of the day in the city. Yeah. Yeah. More coffee, Mr. Marlowe? Yeah, yeah, please. Thanks. You know, Dolly wasn't really a bad girl. It was just that sometimes she didn't think. And... A woman who loves like that doesn't think, Mr. Brule. Just feels. Maybe in some way it is my fault, the whole thing. No, no. It's nobody's fault, Mr. Brule. She was. She was trying to do the right thing for the guy she loved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have 
bed is still ready if you, if you care to stay. Oh, thanks. Sure, I'd like to. If, if you can find your own way up, I, I think I'll sit here just a minute longer. Sure. Night. Good night, Mr. Marlowe. sat looking out over the starlit countryside. I thought of all the great love stories written about the good people who love, live, and suffer. And then the pathetic face of Dolly and the pain-wracked face of Eddie said, what about us? And I had no answer. Chalk up another one, Marlowe. Another one of those things for which there is no answer. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Vivi Janis, Ben Wright, Jack Moyles, Wilms Herbert, Jack Crucian, and Barney Phillips. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a twisted mind, a hole cut in a wire fence, and a corpse in a storeroom. All added up to freedom. But only for the one who had it coming. The event you've been waiting for. Fred Allen's first visit to the CBS Jack Benny show will take place tomorrow night. Yes, the most famous guest appearance in radio, the Fred Allen Jack Benny Act, will be heard in all of the CBS stations tomorrow night. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now, stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows over most of the same CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road. Those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. 
This time a twisted mind, a hole cut in a wire fence, and a corpse in a storeroom. All added up to freedom, but only for the one who had it coming. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Bid for Freedom. When you worry over your bank statement, then hug your office phone from 9 to 5, anxious for business, nothing happens. But the minute you decide you'll get rich another day, chuck the puny balance sheet into a bottom drawer and make plans, you want it. And that was exactly the way it played when at 3 o'clock on the kind of slate gray afternoon that makes the beckoning Santa Fe Railroad vacation billboards look a little more so, I left a note on my office door and headed outside and across the street for some real Hungarian goulash. Very good today, too. The second after a waiter disappeared into the kitchen with my order, she was standing at my elbow. Not quite young, not quite pretty, not quite blonde. And when she spoke, not quite sure of what she was going to say next. You, you're Mr. Philip Marlowe, aren't you? I mean, the private detective whose office is across the street? Yeah, that's right. I, my name is Helen Asher. Oh, I have to find someone. You you do that kind of work, don't you? Finding people, I mean. That all depends, Miss Asher. Who's the person you have to find? Leon Rodell, a friend. Uh-huh. You see, I just got into town. I had his address in my handbag, but I lost it. The handbag, that is. And I don't exactly know which way to well, turn. Well, just a minute, Miss Asher. Let's take it a step at a time, huh? Here, now sit down. Oh, and... no. No, thank you. I, I, I'm in a hurry, Mr. Marlowe. Leon Rodell isn't listed in the phone book. I've tried that, and I don't know the name of his firm, his business name. He he deals in ceramics. Is that all you can tell me? Oh, no. I have something else. It's a name and an address here in Los Angeles. Fortunately, that wasn't in my handbag, but here in my coat. So... Oh, no. No what, Miss Asher? Outside there, on the street. What's on the street? Oh, nothing. Nothing at all. I... Hey, Miss Asher. Wait a minute. There'd been a sort of sad look about Helen Asher that made me want to help her. So after an even sadder look at the plate of goulash that was coming toward me from the kitchen, I followed her to the street. Mr. Marlowe, the goulash. When I reached the sidewalk, she was across the street in a cab and away. That might have been the end of it if something small and ugly that had been standing just outside the restaurant hadn't turned and moved into the alley alongside the building. On a hunch that he'd had something to do with the sudden exit of Miss Asher, I followed him and found him standing next to a line of empty ash cans, calmly lighting a cigarette. You always run into alleys to light your cigarettes? You always concerned? What do you know about Helen Asher? Helen Asher? I haven't any idea who you're talking about. Come on, little man. I'm talking about the gal who just got into that cab. Do the words begin to flow? Oh, do I ring him out of here? Hey, get your hands off me. You're ripping my pocket. You're lucky it isn't your nose. Come on, talk. All right, all right. It's no secret. Here, it's all in this letter. Look, right here. Oh! 
told the shop pointed shoes and caught my shin where it really hurt. By the time I was out of the ash cans, back on my feet, I knew the damage had been more to my dignity than anything else. I knew also that the little man was gone and I had no idea where. I was halfway out toward the street before I realized that I still had the little man's letter clenched in my hand. It was from an Omaha Life Insurance Company and addressed to one Eldon Hook, 31 Marlboro Drive, Sunnydale, California. Sunnydale wasn't just around the corner, but the fear I'd seen in Helen Asher's face plus a score to settle with Eldon Hook said the 20-mile drive into the San Fernando Valley was a minor point. Under the gray sky overhead that thickened by the minute, Sunnydale, about the size of the hole in a candied lifesaver, looked as warm and cheerful as crepe paper. And number 31 Marlboro Drive, also gray, was no improvement from the ponderous, bleak stone buildings which said Queen Victoria should have slept there. Past the high, thick wire fence that surrounded it to the wrought iron gate in front of me labeled Hillcrest Sanitarium. Keep out. Took ten minutes of softly phrased questions and answers to get the boss man at Dr. Chinetti to the gate. I told him who I was and what brought me to him, including the description of Eldon Hook. I... I don't understand... Come in, Mr. Marlowe, please. Eldon Hook has been with us as an attendant for more than a year now. And his behavior has always been satisfactory. Uh, nothing would surprise me anymore today. Uh, by the way, sir, what did you say that woman's name was? The one who approached you in the restaurant? Oh, Helen Asher. Is it possible that she was once a patient here, Doctor? No. Oh. What about Leon Rodell? Leon Rodell? Hmm. How do you know that name? From Helen Asher. She was looking for him. That's why she wanted to hire me. She knew he was here in Los Angeles. Mr. Marlowe, this woman, was she young? About 30, blonde? Yeah, that's right. Why? Why? Because this morning, earlier, about 6 o'clock, one of our patients escaped. A woman you know as Helen Asher. And we know as Charlotte Rodell, Leon Rodell's wife. Oh. She's insane, huh? Temporarily, yes. Come over here, near the fence. Oh. I'll show you how she got away. But how she managed to cut through enough of this thick wire link fence to make a hole large enough to crawl through is beyond me. Here, look, behind this ivy. Uh-huh. Even with a good wire snipper, it would take hours to get through all these strands, huh? Wasn't she missed inside? Yes, but she was only gone minutes. Apparently, she had been doing a little at a time during her recreation period, at night, whenever she could. Be careful of the birds and those bushes there, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, I see what you mean. Tell me, Doctor, have the police been notified? Of course, at once. The law compels us to. And frankly, Mr. Marlowe, I'm terribly worried. Oh? You see, it was her husband, Leon Rodell, who had her confined here a year ago. Six months after their marriage, she began to act strangely. He felt it would be only with our help that she could ever regain her mental equilibrium. I thought that we were accomplishing that. Apparently no, huh? Obviously no. <laughs> but, Mr. Marlowe, we must call the Los Angeles police right away and tell them that Leon Rodell now lives here, not in San Francisco. He must be protected. Yeah, I see your point. Yeah, she did break out. She is trying hard to find Leo, and three she ran from Eldon Hook, who was very close on a trail. That's right, Mr. Marlowe. That's why I suggest that Leon Rodell discontinue seeing his wife as of last month. He always left Charlotte very upset. 
But now I'd better call the police. That's a good idea. Although Charlotte didn't know where her husband was staying or what the name of the ceramics business was, she... Say, Doc. Doc, she claimed that she lost a handbag. Have you found it by any chance? Yes, we did. We found it in the brush near a hole in the fence. I've got it right here in my desk. Oh, good. There was an address on a card in it. 3840-something. Uh, yes, here it is. 3840 Lookout Terrace. Lookout Terrace. Lookout Terrace. That's right here in the valley, up in the hills, south of Ventura Boulevard. Mr. Marlowe, if possible, I'd like to avoid having the papers get hold of this, uh, this story. This is a rather exclusive nursing home. So? Uh, well, in a sense, you're already in this case. Uh, could you try to find Charlotte Rodell and... Bring her back here before the police do. Well, Dr. Chinetti, I... It I, would I... be doing a great service for the woman and her husband. I'll pay you your fee. All right, Dr. Chinetti, I'll try. I'll call you as soon as I have something. When I first started Marlboro Drive in Sunnydale, it had been a combination of interest in a sad-eyed girl and a strong desire to punch Eldon Hook on the nose. How it was business. It took 20 minutes of fast driving to get over to Lookout Terrace in the hills that separate Hollywood from the San Fernando Valley and 3840 itself. The house was a squat chunk of overly stuccoed, archaic California architecture at the top of a steep driveway. And when I was out of my car and walking toward the front door, everything was black, except tiny pinpoints of light sparkling up from the floor of the valley I just left. Good evening, sir. I hope I didn't startle you, Mr. Rodell. Mr. Rodell. Oh, I know your name. Yes, sir. And I know some other things as well. Like what? Oh, incidental facts. Like, uh, well, it's cold in there. So you haven't been home in hours. And? And the refrigerator's empty, so you're only staying here off and on. Also, the old mail inside, phone bills, etc. They don't have your name or this address. So this is probably a friend's house. Which totals to what? To zero, maybe. Zero, Mr. Rodell, like you're going to total if you don't pay the money you owe to my good friend in San Francisco. Yeah, you know who I mean, don't you, Mr. Rodell? Yeah, yeah. What I don't know is how good friend thinks I'm going to raise that kind of dough. <laughs> I made it funny? Oh, you're kidding. Uh, What's 15000 to you? You, uh, shall I say, an intimate friend of Ordine Blackburn's? Oh, uh, Ordine Blackburn. Yeah, Ordine Blackburn. Come off it, boy. I'm thorough. An eager sort. I know that the lady from Bel Air is loaded and that she's nuts about you. No fooling. Now, before I leave, a word of advice, Rodell. One can't run away from his obligations forever. And you won't be able to walk away after 24 hours. Unless, of course, you pay. <laughs> Good night. Good night, Eager. Till we meet again. I'd like the telephone number of a Miss Ordine Blackburn in Bel Air. I don't have the address. Have you tried your directory, sir? Yeah, no, I can't. The house burned down. One moment, please. Yeah. <laughs> we have an Ordine Blackburn at 2321 Bel Air Road. Yeah, that's it. What's the number, please? Nevins 31121. 31121. Thank you. 
house burned down. <laughs> Hello? Hello, Miss Blackburn. Yes, this is she. Miss Blackburn, my name is Philip Marlowe. I'm a private detective who at the moment is anxious to get hold of Leon Rodell. Do you know where he is? Yes, I do, but I don't think... Now, please, it's important. Leon Rodell's life is in danger. I want to help him. Leon's life? What's going on, Mr. Marlowe? Well, there isn't time to explain, believe me. That's what she said, but Who I... said? Someone who called about 20 minutes ago. A Miss Helen Asher. Oh? She said she was supposed to meet Leon at his storeroom about purchasing some ceramics, but she forgot his address there. Did you give it to her? Oh, yes, I did. Oh, great. She's the one who's after him. What's that address? Come on, quick. 3909 and a half Ventura Boulevard. Sure. It's in the rear of a parking lot. Well, there's plenty wrong. For one thing, I... Talk to you again, baby, some other time. I doubt it, Mr. Rodell. Jumped to a hasty conclusion, didn't I? Uh, yeah, yeah, you did, Eager. You see, I'm really only a bill collector, just like yourself, so why don't we... Get uh... some makeup. Oh. <laughs> Not a chance, sweetheart. I wouldn't be happy that way. I wouldn't know when you were telling the truth. And when you were lying. <laughs> Know what I mean? Oh, Marlow. <laughs> now, as I said before, good just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, CBS will bring you the earth-shaking premiere of a new opera tomorrow night. An opera written by Alec Templeton with Charlie McCarthy as a lovelorn singing Bengal Lancer. Templeton himself as a Maharaja and Ursel Twing as a flying carpet salesman. You can hear it on the CBS Charlie McCarthy Edgar Bergen show tomorrow night. And don't forget, Red Skelton, Amos and Andy, Eve Arden, Horace Hyde, and all the other CBS Sunday night stars will also be on hand on most of these same CBS stations. Jack Benny, of course, has heard of them all on Sundays. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Bid for Freedom. I'd been slapped with felt like a log chain. Next time would be different. I waited till Eager drove away and then went out and got in my car and unwound my way down the hill again to Ventura Boulevard. There I turned west and drove out to 3909 and a half. There was a glass and neon super grocery store closed for the night. And the only light showing at Leon Rodell's ceramic outfit trickled out on the ground in a narrow wedge what had to be a partly open back door. And even as I watched it, the wedge danced into a crazy pattern and disappeared. I ran for it and got there just in time to see Charlotte Rodell dart down the alley. A second later, she vanished in the shadowy jumble of backyard buildings. I knew there was no use trying to follow her. Instead, I eased the storeroom door open and looked in at a room full of flower pots, lamp bases, and dishes. Nothing moved. Charlotte, I was sure it had a reason for running, so I went in toward a table in the corner where the only light was burning. I was almost up to it before I saw the reason. Yeah, it was a good one. Eldon Hook, the sanitarium attendant, was on the floor behind the table, his body still trying to arch away from the knife in his back. But I bent over him, he opened his eyes. They were already cloudy. 
defense, and I knew Ordeen was... Ordeen what, Hook? Who did it? Can you tell me? I never figured on... I left Eldon Hook just as he was. Went to the door that opened to the front of the ceramic shop. A desk was there with a phone on it. I got halfway through the homicide bureau number when a silhouette showed up at the curtains at the front door. I put the phone down, stepped back into the shadows and waited. Not necessarily, Not Mr. Rodell. Who are you? Name's Marlowe. I'm a private detective. You are Leon Rodell, aren't you? Yes. What are you doing here in my shop? You better finish taking your overcoat off, Mr. Rodell. Now, see. Your here. wife has run away from Hillcrest Sanitarium. My. Charlotte is out? That's right. How do you know this? She came to me tonight under a phony name. Tried to get me to locate you. She'd lost her address. Oh. This is a shock. Marlowe, a terrible shocker. Poor Charlotte, what an awful thing this is for her. Yeah. Excuse me, I, I need this. Sure. Oh, you? No, thanks. Yeah. You see, Marlowe, I've only been here in Los Angeles a month. The last time I visited Charlotte, that was about three weeks ago, and I hadn't planned to stay out. Wait a minute. My wife is the only one who had my local address. If she lost that, how did you find me? That's a long story. I got the address Charlotte lost, and I've already been up to your house, but the last step was a call to a Miss Ordeen Blackburn. Ordeen? Yeah, she sent me up here. Oh, then you know about Ordeen and me. A little. Well, I suppose under the circumstances, that's hard for you to understand, Marlowe, and even harder to accept. Not exactly, under the circumstances. Oh, well, the law is not as generous as you are. Has no room for understanding. Insanity isn't grounds for divorce until after three long years have passed. And maybe Miss Blackburn doesn't want to wait that long, huh? Well, to be frank, I don't know. I'm in love with her. I think she loves me. I haven't had the courage to tell her about Charlotte yet. Maybe you won't have to. Hmm? Charlotte called her up tonight before I did as a Miss Asher. She must have gotten Ordeen's name and phone number from you some way on that last visit of yours. No, no, that's impossible. Well, she got it some way. Do you know where Charlotte is? We've got to find her. She's not responsible. She might even be dangerous. It's an understatement, Rodell. She's deadly. Deadly? Mm. I, I don't understand. Come here. Over behind that table there where the light is. What? Go ahead and look. Well, what's over there? When I showed up here tonight, I saw Charlotte running away. I came in and found that. Oh, my God. The attendant of the sanitarium. Yeah. He knew she'd escaped. He found the hole in the fence where she got out, and he's been following her on his own, strangely enough. He's dead. Marlowe, he's dead. Hook, he's, he's dead. Rodell! Sorry. Mar- Marlowe, she must be completely mad. We've got to stop her. Why, she might go for Ordeen next door. Or you, what, yeah. What can we do? Well, you can go home. She doesn't know that address up there, so you'll be okay on that score. All right, but... Uh... Rodell, listen. Keep your doors locked up there, will you? Well, sure. You said Charlotte... I know, I know. I'm not thinking about Charlotte now. There's something else. The guy in San Francisco that you owe all that money to. What about him? Sent a mug down here who intends to collect it. I've tangled with him already. He means business. So be careful, Rodell, and I'll see you as soon as I can. I watched him go out the door limply, his head down. He looked about as tough as a bowl of whipped cream. 
And I went back to the desk again and saw that he'd left his overcoat where he dropped it on the chair. I called the police, gave him the word on Charlotte, and when that was over, I had to switch on the desk light to check the sanitarium number before I could call Dr. Chinetti. That's when I saw the letter lying on the desk, an important letter. But for one reason only. It was addressed to Leon Rodell at his house on Lookout Terrace. It was an open invitation to anybody who'd come to the shop looking for that particular piece of information. And there was no doubt in my mind that Charlotte had seen it, which made it long past time for me to get up there and on the double. I turned, headed for the door, and stopped all in one motion. The pair of headlights slashed at the windows and then blinked out. I stepped back out of the circle of light from the desk lamp and waited. A second later, the hulk of Mr. Eager filled the open back door. He was still very sure of himself. He took in the storeroom with one long glance and then sidled through the clutter as deftly as a rumba dancer toward the door where the desk and I were waiting. The instant he got within reach, I swung! You again, you dirty lousy... Major, no. pitch once, big man. Why don't you sit on it? Why, you... Pick... And that squares the top of that clip on the chops you gave me. Oh, oh no. No, not quite, mister. <laughs> Even Stephen now, big man. When he went down that time, he took the chair, Rodell's overcoat, and half the stuff on the desk with him. He was still moving, trying to free himself of the tangle, so I reached for him again, but got only a fistful of the overcoat Rodell had left behind. And suddenly, my hand stung like I'd grabbed the wrong end of a bumblebee. Jerked it back and looked at the palm. Something was stuck to my skin, something I couldn't understand. Until finally realization oozed through the molasses in my brain. I left and ran all the way to my car and almost sprung the frame, twisting up Lookout Terrace. I parked down the hill from 3840 and ran as far as the house next door where I got to the back, hopped the fence, and got my gun in hand. As I expected, Leon Rodell was there, and so was Charlotte in the coop. The door open was poised at the top of the precipitous driveway like a lead car on a roller coaster. Why are you angry with I'm me, I'm not angry, on? Charlotte. Now get in the car. We haven't much time. I did everything just like you said, Leon. I, I lost my hand back with your address, and I had, the car, Charlotte, I had yes. to find you, didn't I? You did fine. And then I learned about your shop, and I went there. Well, you shouldn't have done that, Leon. Now get in the car. Leon. I saw what you'd done to that Mr. Hook the from the sanitarium. we rushed. You killed him with a knife. I had to, Charlotte. He'd been spying on us all oh. the time. He knew all our plans, yeah. and he wanted lots of money to keep quiet. Oh, it the frightens car, me, Leon. I wish you had. Stop it, Charlotte. It doesn't matter oh, anymore. It doesn't don't matter. kid yourself, Rodell. Mr. Marlowe. Oh, I, I found Leon by myself, so I, I really don't need you after all. I only wish you were right, baby. Don't move, Rodell. Oh, but you don't understand, Mr. Marlowe. Leon and I are going away together on I a trip. I understand, all we... right, more than you do now, Charlotte, and I think you better go in the house and wait for oh, us. No, huh? no, don't please, you see? Please, please, we... do as I ask. trip you had in mind, Rodell. Your wife in this coop went straight down over the bank, strictly solo. She didn't even suspect. Uh, you keep your hands off me. Sure, sure. I'd never get them clean again. But it'll give me great satisfaction to drop you with a bullet. And I'll do just that if you take one step before the police get here. So stand still, Rodell. 
Real still. talk more about it in the morning. What you need right now is a good night's rest in your own bed. Oh, you're right, Doctor. I'm very tired. Good night, Mr. Marlowe. And thank you. Good night, Shelley. She still doesn't realize, does she? No, and it's a good thing. Plenty of time for that later when it can come gradually. At this point, she could tear herself to pieces over a thing like this. Yeah. A husband who urges her to run away and helps her do it for the sole purpose of getting her out where he can kill her. Not much security in that setup, huh? No. You mentioned another woman, Mr. Marlowe. Uh, Miss Ordine Blackburn. Oh, Ordine, yeah. Gullible rich girl without much on the ball. Rodell planned to marry her and solve all his money problems. Oh. <laughs> Believe me, Doc, he had them, big ones. I see. Well, she's better off this way. Yeah. Six months of marriage to Rodell, and she'd have been a candidate for your sanitarium herself. He's that kind of a guy. And my late employee, Eldon Hook? Well, he knew that Rodell had been urging his wife to run away and that he'd cut that hole in the fence. Hook found out that Rodell was interested in Ordeen, and he tried to shake Rodell down. Signed his own death warrant on the spot. You know, it's sometimes frightening to me, Mr. Marlowe, to realize how many warped and twisted minds there are that never get help until it's far too late. Mm. But there's always some good in every bad thing, they say. What about this case? Charlotte. I expect her to recover completely soon. Because now the main contributor to her neurosis, so to speak, is gone forever. That was Leon Rodell. Yeah, well, Doc, it's a long way back to Hollywood. I better get going, huh? Just one thing more, if you don't mind. Hmm? Charlotte would have died in a smashed car in what would have passed for an accident... Also, she'd have been blamed for Hook's murder if you hadn't found out the truth about Rodell. I'm very curious. You remember the burrs that grew along your fence outside? The burrs? A blasted nuisance. Yeah, but as you just said, Doc, there's always some good in every bad thing. Rodell told me that he hadn't been up here for three weeks. And yet tonight his overcoat was loaded with burrs. I got one in my hand from it. Oh. That gave me a hunch. <laughs> well, from there on it played. Disappointed? To the contrary, satisfied completely. Good night, Mr. Marlowe. Good night, Doc. As I left Hillcrest Sanitarium and drove back across the wide, flat San Fernando Valley, dark and quiet in the hour just before dawn, I found myself being grateful for a lot of little, orderly things. Things like the clear white line down the middle of the road, the rhythm of the motor in my car, and the prospect of going home to my own secure apartment. Then I wondered about Charlotte and the sort of nightmare jungle the world must be to a mind twisted suddenly, out of focus, where there is no symmetry or logic. But nightmares can be banished, huh? Fears driven away. And in time, with Dr. Chinetti's help, she'd come out of it all right. But the others... Others like Hook and Rodell. To them, the jungle is home. No nightmare, that. They live in it by choice. 
Until one way or another, they're destroyed. Choked to death by the very tangle they hide in. Well, that's fair enough. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Leffitt. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, Larry Dobkin, Yvonne Patey, Harold Dierenforth, Jack Edwards, and John T. Smith. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a fireball, too handy with a target pistol, led me down a rocky road past a sleazy money grubber to a curly-headed corpse. And it might have gotten worse if I hadn't slowed down at the hairpin turn. Battered but unbowed by his bout with Fred Allen last Sunday night, Jack Benny will be back at the same old stand tomorrow night, jaunty as ever, and why not? Jack has just been elected the King of Hearts by the American Heart Association. Listen for Jack Benny tomorrow on CBS. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where Philip Marlowe takes the case every Saturday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Grime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.